four questions, four top questions that we have about end times and things that are happening. And I started this just because it's on our hearts and minds. We've been so intrigued by it. There's so many things going on around us. And, you know, you look at that and think, man, is, is God doing something? And I've had other people say, hey, with what's going on right now, is the, does the book of Revelation say this? Was this, you know, projected by God? Did he say this was going to happen and stuff? So I just thought it'd be great for Christians to just dive into it and to see what the Bible actually says and answer some of the tough questions because some people have said, man, this must be the tribulation period. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. The, the, what does the Bible say? If it's a tribulation period, then, then the rapture didn't happen. And then some people come back and say, well, I don't believe the rapture is going to happen until we go through the tribulation period. And so I thought, man, if, if we're going to get the truth and we're going to say what the Bible says, we need to research it and dive into it, not just take something that somebody said in the past. And I, I want you to really uh, dissect this with me. And I want to I go slow, like today, with the answers to the question that we started last week. I, I'm going to split this in half, and so we're only going to go through three explanations of this, and then we're going to do a lot of them next week, but these are the three deeper ones at the beginning. But I'm going to go slow because, like I said, I, I don't want anybody going into this with the idea that, well, he just believes that, so he's being biased with this. So if I come across and I give a point and you say, you know, uh, well, what about this verse? Or you have a question or why does it say it this way? I want to hear that. So don't keep those questions to yourself. I want to hear that. I go back and read all the comments and the guys let me know what's been said. And I've gotten emails and questions and I love that. So send them to me. And some of the things that I'm going to give you today might not fully explain this first question, but we'll pick those up in the next lesson that we do on this. So we started with this and the Bible mentions that things are going to come to an end. And the book of Revelation explains that at the end, in Revelation explains uh, the seven years of tribulation. People don't debate that. It's, it's very clear cut in scripture of what it says. And last week we talked about there's three views that people have concerning the end. Number one would be pre-tribulation, which are our pre-trib, which is the idea that God is going to take Christians or the church out before the tribulation period starts. Some people, because the Bible splits the tribulation period up into uh, seven years and there's a center point of three and a half years, some believe it's at that middle point that God's going to take the saints out. And some believe the post that we're going to go through the tribulation and after that is then God calls us out. So the first question that we're saying with this is, will Christians go through the tribulation period? And so I, I want to give biblical answers to this and explain this because the Bible doesn't actually come out in one verse and say, and I'm coming back right here. I wish it did. And, but the Bible will never contradict itself. And there's so many things, especially in the New Testament. You go back to Daniel, you go back to the prophecies of the Old Testament, and they all forward uh, preach and, and talk about these things that are coming. And we can see this, and then we, then we study the character of God and the promises of God and all these things that have happened. Then we start, just like I've explained last week, we begin to take a puzzle you know, you dump it out and you start putting all the pieces together and you say, oh, that fits right there and that makes sense and that's why this says this and that's what I want to do with this. This is what I'm going to ask you as we study this question out. Don't take my word for it. You say, wow, that's not something that a pastor should say. The, the thing about it is a lot of people have gotten way off in scripture because they, they just sit there and listen and say, well, this is what my pastor teaches, so that's what I believe. 
go through this with me. And I'm asking you as we read this, because I know this stuff is deep, and some people stay away from Revelation and end times because they were saying, it's over my head. Just take this and just cut it apart little by little. And then every verse that we go through, evaluate it, think about it. The word of God will speak to you and the spirit of God will speak to you as we do this. So every verse that we read might be answering the question or pointing this question, but it's also going to fill in a lot of questions that we have in study about the end times. So here we go. Uh, we went through last week, will Christians go through the tribulation period? And we explained what the theories are, the timeline, the verses, the rapture, the second coming, all that kind of stuff. And then I said, now I'm going to give you the answer to this. And I'm going to give you it this way, why Christians will not go through the tribulation period. And you're saying, man, you're making a really strong stance against that. You're making a really strong stand on, on this perspective. Let, let me show you why. Here's number one, okay, here's number one reason for this, and I'm going to give you a bunch of them through this one and then part three of this question that we're doing. Number one, because of the absence of the church during the tribulation period that's written in the Bible. Then say it again, I believe that Christians will not go through the tribulation period because of the absence of the mention of the church that is written out during the tribulation period. We are the church we are the bride of Christ. There's so much that was written to the church explaining the promises of God and what we have to anticipate, what we need to know, and who we are as the bride of Christ. And with that said, we have so many promises. And the Bible says very clear about the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Literally meaning that there is going to be a great war. And God said about that war that the church will never be conquered by sin. It will never be conquered by the gates of hell. And all the, the, literally, that means the kingdom of Satan. So the book of Revelation opens up and explains seven churches. So if we were to take it, and I've got my Bible here uh, to the book of Revelation. If you were to take the Bible and you were to start in chapters 1, chapters 2, and chapters 3, this is what you're going to learn. And I'm going to read some verses just to lay this out to you to prove a point. It says in Revelation chapter uh, 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. He's explaining how the church should live during the time. And he's going back in history and he's talking to these specific churches and he's giving them information. He's giving them correction. He's giving them what to look forward to. But I'm saying this because in these first three chapters, the church is mentioned 19 times. 19 times the Bible describes the church. You say, why is that a big deal? Because I'm trying to prove a point that Revelation does not leave out the church. But Revelation does have a timeline. And that is important for us to grasp because... We're in this timeline that we described about all the way from Genesis, and then we have 4,000 years and 2,000 years in the church age and the dispensation of grace, and then, then we come to the book of Jude and then Revelation, and it continues that timeline. So I want you to understand that in the beginning of the timeline of Revelation, the church is there, loud and clear, addressed to them, examples and teaching of this. So I want you to see, and it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty-four seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty-four elders sitting clothed with white raiment, and they had on their heads um, 
their heads crowns of gold. So the question is, once we finish this church age and we get to the heaven scene, who is in heaven before revelation of the tribulation begins? So let's break this down because a lot of this is symbolic, the things that we're learning through this. So we've got to break this down. So it says that these people are clothed in white. So we ask in the book of Revelation, who is clothed in white? Because it's descriptive. God doesn't just throw out things for no reason. God does that on purpose. So the idea they're clothed in white, in chapter 3, it's talking to the church. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, he says, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. So I can, I can tell you very specifically that God doesn't just say, well, just say this. No, it's on purpose. It's intentional. He said about the church and God's people, they're clothed in the righteousness of God. I am a filthy, rotten sinner until Jesus Christ found me and I'm made in the righteousness of God. I'm clothed in the righteousness of God. I'm covered in the righteousness of God. So the Bible describes they were clothed, this description of the saints being clothed in his righteousness. So there's one. Okay, so that's an explanation, breaking this down. Number two, they're wearing crowns on their head. Now I'm going to ask you, who has crowns in heaven? The Bible explains the crowns are given to the saints of God for the service that we've done. 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. So it's very clear what he was saying about this. Not to me only, but to all of them that love his appearing. So when we will see God and we see him, the Bible says that there's this crown that he gives us, that we have these before them. And we know we didn't do what we did on this earth for us. We didn't do them for our glory. What do we do with our crowns that God gives us? What do we do with the service, the faithfulness? The Bible says that whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. That's why we do it for that. We did it for them. So the Bible says in verse 10, and they fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne. Now I have to ask you this question. Who is in Revelation 4, 4, after the church age, before the tribulation starts? Who is casting their crowns before God? The question is, uh, if we are uh, raptured at the end, what's happening here? And people say, well, I believe that God's not going to bring his saints home until the end. No, I've got to ask you. God is explaining everything. Timothy, the Bible, all these things talk about us working for those crowns, that symbol of us worshiping and serving God. What's happening here? You've got people clothed in white in the righteousness of God, taking the crowns of the service that was said all through the Gospels, all through the New Testament of that period of the church that had been given these crowns. And we see them now taking those crowns, falling before the King of Kings and laying our crowns at his feet. So number three, here's another thing that we see here. It's describing these people in heaven right here as the redeemed. The redeemed. Revelation 5, 9 Again, before we get to the tribulation part, it says, For thou was slain and has redeemed us. Who's the us? Who's, who's testifying there? Who is saying, You redeemed us by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations in heaven before the wrath of God is poured out on, on the world right there? we find people that are the redeemed of God that were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how do you know who those people are? How do you know that's the church? Well, 
taking those crowns, fall, trying to figure that out. Who was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Acts 20 verse 28 says, the church of God, as plain as that can be, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The Bible says he purchased us with his blood. It is the church that is the redeemed. It is the church that has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the church in Revelation 5 that is saying up to God, you redeemed us with your blood. Number four, here's the other thing that I'm going to point out about this vision of heaven. They are sitting around the throne of God. You say, why is that a big deal? All of this is a big deal. Now, it says that there is a throne and sitting around the throne were these seats, these elders, these people, this. And it says round about the throne in Revelation 4.4, 4, uh, round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty four elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So these 24 rulers or these 24 seats, they're also thrones, if you could put it that way, in the different definitions of this. And it explains a lot. See, elders in the Greek is translated always for something dealing with mankind, never ever dealing with, uh, with angels or um, anything related to heavenly beings outside of mankind. When you read the word elders, and it doesn't say in that thing that the angels or whatever, it says elders, which is related to us. Now, I'm going to go through a number of verses, okay? And I want you guys to pick up on this. And the Bible says about us, Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. So the Bible describes, and it says, and so that we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. We heirs. We are the children of God. Literally, we are inherit heaven. That's why John 14, 1 through 6 describes heaven in that way. Listen to Luke 22, verse 30, when Jesus was teaching, that ye may eat and drink at my table. Listen to what he was saying, in my kingdom. He's talking to the disciples, and sit on thrones. You know what we're doing? We're, we're, we're taking, like, connect the dots, and we're taking the teaching of Jesus there, and we're going, oh, okay, wait a minute, that connects right there. And it says, instead of judging the 12 tribes of Israel, Matthew 19, 28, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that, we, he, that ye which have followed me, the followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne in his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, no, if you're doing the math with me here, and you're putting the pieces together, and you're saying, who's sitting around the throne? Who's sitting with Jesus Christ? Why is there thrones mentioned? What did Jesus say before this? What do we have to look forward to when it comes to this? The Bible says in Revelation 2 verse 26, when he was talking to the church, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give the power over the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. That's what a kingdom is. That's what thrones are. That's what crowns are. That's why we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ to be in his glory with him. The Bible says in Roman, Revelation 5.10, when he was also talking about us, and it says this in the beginning of Revelation too, but it reiterates this later, and has made us, has made us unto God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth, which he's talking about later. But the Bible says in Romans 5, when he's talking about those in heaven, he said he's made us to be kings. Now, I, this, this blows my mind. And a long time ago, a while back, 
Uh, last year, I, I preached the message about kings and priests and what that means of our position in Christ and things like this. But remember that what my point is with this. Those that are around the throne of God is who we're talking about in these passages. And everything points and describes God's children, the redeemed, the crowns, what they're wearing, where they're sitting, the position that they have, casting their crowns, the redeemed of God, worshiping God, all of these things. Now, the question is, why 24 elders? Now, it says 24, it doesn't say 12. And to be honest, I just, I just can't answer that. Because of the fact is that there's Bible verses that talk about, we, we know that the Old Testament saints, we have the Old Testament where you have um, 12 tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, we have another 12. We have the 12 disciples. We know that when Jesus was talking, he references the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that he talks about there. So some theories have said that the 12 seats that are in heaven represent the 24, uh, of the, putting those numbers together, the 12 and 12. To be honest, I'm not going to definitely say that's what it is because I just don't know. But, but I do know this, but there's enough there that represents that those that are gathered around Jesus, and those that were uh, poured, uh, pointed out in there, definitely is referring to saints saved, not angels. Here's, here's the second reason why Christians will not go through the tribulation period. Number one, it's because we don't have the church mentioned. And, and I stopped right there. So we go through there and we see the saints of God in heaven. And then in chapter six through the end until the very end, no church. 19 times, 19 times mentioned at the beginning. You hit those chapters and go on when the wrath of God is being poured out, no church. You say, well, it mentions the saints of God. I'm glad you brought that up because that is for the further question. But it is important that we understand that there are saints of God being mentioned in Revelation. But it says saints, not church. And you say, well, maybe it's just using different words. If it was different words, it wouldn't have started that way to beginning. Here's number two. Number two, because of the biblical understanding of the wrath of God. I'll tell you, if you're going to listen to anything, please, please, please get this point. The Bible says that we know that Christians will face difficulties. Perilous times will come. It says in the latter days, in the last days, difficult, complicated times. Let me say to everyone, listen right now, turn on your news right now, and you will absolutely know that difficult times have come. We are there. I'm not saying necessarily the wrath of God, but difficulty times are coming. Trying times, the great falling away when, when society will rebel against God, that every man will do what's right in his own eyes. All these things that the Bible says, that sin will be elevated and, 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 and people will be persecuted for talking the truth. We're not talking about just difficult times that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. We're talking about wrath. And I know some people sit there and say, when it talks about wrath, that's talking about hell. So you can't say that God has saved us from the wrath to come because the Bible is associating the wrath of God with hell. Well, let's talk about this. The Bible says about the Revelation uh, tribulation period that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come. So you finish the rejoicing in heaven. You, rejoice, you, you talk about the redeemed and everything that happens in chapter 5 and 6. You turn, the, you turn the chapter, when we get to chapter 6, what do you find? Immediately, 
you find a whole different atmosphere, a whole different attitude that transpires in the book of Revelation because we're following this timeline. And it says, for the great day of his wrath has come and who will be able to stand? Now, what a, what a question. He's saying, I'm in a, God's about to, uh, he's flipping a switch. He's going to pour out the wrath of God in this. And we'll look at some of that later. And he says, let me just ask you, who's going to be able to stand during this time? I, mean, I, I Never mind. I know what God has called us to. <laughs> There's so much that I want to say. You need to come Sunday. I'm going to tell you that. You need to come Sunday when it comes to this as well. Wrath. The wrath here is violent passion. By implication of punishment. Anger. It's talking about vengeance. That's, that's what God is pouring out on humanity at that time. The tri tribulation period is the wrath of God. And I hope these verses shake you to the core because I want you to understand that right now we, we live in an age of grace, but there's coming a day of wrath of God. There is coming, and the Bible gives us this in the Bible to warn us. Let me explain it. And you say, I don't know if Revelation could really be associated with the wrath of God. I am only going to highlight these verses, okay, because I could go all the way. Just do a Google search and what does the Bible say in Revelation about the wrath of God? And you would be overwhelmed. Revelation 14, 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in a mixture in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Does that at all bother you of understanding what's being poured out in Revelation? Revelation 14, verse 19, And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered vine of the earth and cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Revelation 15, 1, And I saw another sign of heaven, great marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up with the wrath of God. Revelation 16, 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Not difficulties. And later we'll explain what these are. But we're not talking about difficulties. We're right outright explaining what the Bible is saying of pouring out the wrath of God upon mankind, upon the earth. It's, it's specific of where we live and what we're experiencing. Revelation 19.15 And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. Well, let me ask you, who was he talking about? Who shall rule with him? Understand who, who God separated us and explained. You're going to rule with me over the earth, over the world. He's already said that. And treadeth upon the winepress the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty God. The wrath of God is being poured out on the earth in Revelation. I'm going to ask you this question. You say, that's, well, that's where we're going to be at. We're going to be smack in the middle of that. What does the Bible say about Christians, about his children, and the wrath of God? Well, let's look at that. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Why do you think in Revelation chapter 5 when they're saying 
By the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed and saved by the Lamb of God that was slain. Read Revelation chapter 5. What do you have? Who's, who's worshiping God in heaven if we're down there experiencing the wrath of God when the Bible says we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him who justified us by the blood? So who does receive the wrath of God? John 3 verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Very clear what the Bible says. He draws a line. He says, he that have Jesus Christ, no wrath. Why is that? Because the wrath of God is being poured out on sin. Sin. You want to talk about the anger of God or the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Judgment of God is targeted towards sin. For Christians, I stand redeemed. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. What does that mean? No condemnation. God is literally saying there's no wrath to come. That's what he said in this passage. In Ephesians 5, 6, Let no man deceive you by vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. For those that reject and deny that, that turn away from it. The answer to those, the, the, this question is, who receives the wrath of God? It's those that reject Jesus Christ. Those that have not received the blood of Jesus Christ. Those that are not forgiven. Those that are disobedient. The, the, I, I know this, this verse is kind of un, uncomfortable. You sit there and say, man, if I read Revelation and I see it, I just don't understand how a loving God could literally do all these things and pour out his wrath torment, fire and brimstone upon that. And I've said this so many times because we're born in sin and God has given us this entire Bible and we're preaching, we preach and we preach and we preach just like in the days of Noah where, where Noah preached and said, get on the boat or you're going to die. Get on the boat or you're going to die. And they reject it. The wrath of God is being poured out on them that reject the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is a choice. For everyone listening, you say that that doesn't sound like a loving God. No, it is a loving God. A loving God took upon him that cup of wrath. He, he took on us himself the sin of mankind. Just like John 3.36 was saying that we might be saved through him. So the wrath of God abideth not on us. It is a choice. Being caught in the wrath of God is a choice because we've been given salvation as a choice. Now, I mentioned Revelation chapter 3 when the church is mentioned at the beginning of this. And let me just say this again. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Listen, listen to this. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world and the try them that dwell upon the earth. So in the beginning of this, he made a prophecy and he was saying, let me tell you to the church. Let me talk to the church. I'm going to pour out my wrath on them. But he said to us, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. That word temptation means to experience evil, adversity. He said, I'm going to keep you from it. Now, I've heard it been said like this, that people have said uh, in times past and said, Pastor Tony, let's, let's just be honest, that God will keep us to get, protect us to go through it. Man, when perilous times, that God's going to put his hand on us to get us through the trial or through the adversity of the end. 
The Bible does not say that to the church in Revelation as he flips the page and begins this. When you flip the page back and you talk about the church, do you know what he says? He says, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. The word hour in this passage means the day, the season, the tide of this. The word hour in, in, that he's talking about is a season of time. He didn't say, I will, I will keep you as you go through the trial or through the adversity. It does not say that. The Bible literally says, I will keep you from the hour or the season or the time. Jesus used this when people would come up to him and he says, don't tell anybody yet. He said, my hour has not yet come. What hour was he talking about? Look at all the time that he died on the cross. Look at the time that he was in trial. Look at the time that they persecuted him. It wasn't an hour. It was a season of time. He was literally saying, I'm going to protect you from this, from this time to come. And so 1 Thessalonians 1.10, listen to this. And to wait for his son from heaven, which is the rapture, to wait from him when he shall caught up in the air with him in heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us, from the wrath to come. You talk about what does the Bible say about the wrath of God. I'll explain to you exactly about the wrath of God. It is poured out on sin. It is poured out on disobedience. It's poured out on rebellion. It is poured out on them that have rejected Jesus Christ. You say, how can it not be poured out on me? I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's why Revelation 5 explains those standing before God all clothed in the righteousness of God, not in their own works that they have done, but according to his righteousness. We are saved according to his righteousness. So when you see that, you can't find Christians being associated with God pouring his wrath on his own children. You cannot find it because he said you are saved from the wrath of God. Here's the last point that I'm going to give you, and then we're going to close this out. And so, number one, why are Christians not going through it? Number one, it's because you can't find the church mentioned in the tribulation. Number two, and this is just what we read, because of the fact that we have to understand what the wrath of God is, who gets it and who does not. Number three, because the rapture and the second coming are two different events. They're two different events mentioned in the Bible. If they're two different events in the Bible, then we have to find both of them in Revelation. Because the Bible is very clear. There's a timeline that he's explaining with this. It's important to understand because if they're two different events, we must find both of them in Scripture. So here's the rapture, and I'm going to give this to you. First Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead of Christ shall rise first. Then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're never separated from the Lord after that. But the point of this is we learn from this is number one, the rapture is the church being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's what the rapture is. The rapture means to be called up with a shout or a voice. The Bible says that. So remember, it's meeting God in the air, going up. Number two, the Bible describes a voice of God and with the trump of God, all those things are mentioned from there. We've got trump, we've got the voice of God, we've got being caught up in the air. So the question is this, where in the book of Revelation do we find this? So let's say you struggle with this and you say, well, I, I believe in mid-trib or I believe in post-trib. The question that I would ask you is where does the Bible describe Christians being caught up together with the Lord, 
the Bible describing this trump in the voice of God. The book, uh, the book is a timeline. So from beginning to end, you're going to have to find it in the timeline. So when we find that description, we can put our finger on it and say, oh, it's right there. And we know that there's these separate events because the Bible describes this. So let's look at another one. There's the, the rapture, but there's also the second coming. The second coming of Christ happens in Revelation chapter 19. And the second coming of Christ is when Christ ends the world. Or he brings things to an end. Because the Bible says that, that talks about when is the end near. So there is a closing to this. This is the battle of Armageddon. And the Bible says in Revelation 19.11, so we'll just go forward there and just go to the end of it and read this description. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And in his righteousness, he doth judge and make more war. Jesus comes to the earth in final war. In Revelation 19.15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with he should smite the nations and should rule them with a rod of iron and treadeth upon the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. Now you've got to understand, this is a war. And if you read that full chapter, and obviously we don't have the time, they gather together, God comes down into there and he makes war with them and he fights them with just the word of his mouth. His mouth is a sword and he wins this with this battle. But there's a difference between the rapture, being caught up with the Lord and the shout, and what we read here in this passage right here. Here's what I want you to get. Nowhere do we read in this passage of the second coming, do we read of saints being called up to meet Jesus. Nowhere. Number two, nowhere do we read of a trumpet being calling or anyone being announced at the end. Nowhere. Why does the Bible describe this? As this is what we're going to look for and this is what's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, you scratch your head and say, well, that's when the, the church is going to be called out. Well, then let me tell you this. If that's when the church is being called out, then that's when the Bible should say that the church is being called out. So let me ask you this question. Who is with him? Who is with him? Revelation nineteen fourteen, And the armies which are, were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, fine linen, white and clean. I'm going to ask you again. What do we find in Revelation? The beginning of it, chapter 3, 4, and 5, when we talk about the church and all those other things, we find the saints of God clothed in the righteousness of God. The Bible describes them that. What do we find coming back with him? So shall we ever be with the Lord. What do we find at the end of it? We find those heaven followed upon him, not caught up with him. The Bible says followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and clean. So where in this passage is the rapture? I'm not saying that to be just antagonizing. I'm literally saying, help me out here. And if one of you are sitting there saying, I believe that God's coming back for the church at the end. I'm just asking you to put it in the comments and say, this is where I, the angle that I get or what about this? I want to hear this. But I'm asking that question. <laughs> so we go back to the beginning of this chapter. All right. So let's go back to the beginning of this rapture passage. When this begins, we find God's people in heaven, not on earth. Let me show you. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Who's praising God for salvation at the beginning of this? You're saying, well, it's the church. We are the redeemed. We receive salvation. We're the ones that have salvation. We're the ones that praise God. It's not the angels. And then it says more detail, verse 4 and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. 
It's, so you see, if we understand who the four and 20 elders represent at the beginning, we broke that down piece by piece. What does it mean? What does the Bible say about that? What do you find in that? The saints of God, the church. This cannot be the rapture because not one thing that describes the rapture is being mentioned along with the second coming of Christ. It's the opposite. We're with him. We're not being caught up with him. The Bible says we follow him. We're with him because we've already been called up to be with him above the wrath, safe from the wrath to come so that we shall reign on the earth when he comes back and all the pieces come together together. 